Well, yeah, I wasn't, uh, wasn't ready for that, but thank you so much. Kind of makes me feel like I don't have as much time to preach. So, <laughs> Kind of a stellar weekend if you think about it, um, especially if you're a Badger fan, which I am. I had a gentleman uh, say hello to me this morning, and he said, Hi, Brian. I'm Brian, and uh, I'm an LSU fan. But he was very, very gracious and very kind. And, uh, uh, but I'll tell you what, um, if you're a Badger fan, this is like, this is like yesterday was like the greatest day. Because not only did the Badgers win fifth-ranked LSU, uh, Jared Aberderis is now on the Green Bay Packers, which, of course, he's from UW-Madison. So, um, and NF, the NFL... It starts this week, so if you like football, which I like football, uh, my family likes, Jill actually likes, likes football even more than me, which is kind of fun for me, because then I can like always watch all the games, and she loves them too. But um, uh, the NFL starts this week, and uh, all excited. If you're a Packer fan, you're all excited. It looks like it's going to be a great year, and, uh, and yet the NFL has been kind of rocked a little bit. Because you remember when the Packers played the San Francisco 49ers, remember what happened in that game? Colin Kaepernick, uh, he did not stand for the national anthem, remember that? Uh, he, he, uh, he actually uh, said this past week that he was uh, misunderstood, that actually to make his point, he's going to donate a million dollars to racial inequality, police brutality, and he's going to give that money to the communities that seem to need the help. You really feel strongly about this. Also in the news, not that I'm going to be sharing all the news with you, but it's, it's relevant, I hope, to what I'm going to be talking about. Over in France, did you hear what's happening with Muslim women in France? You can't go on the beach wearing your burqa. Or they have this thing called a burkini, which is like, uh, you know, like a big, huge, full-body wetsuit. And they say, they're saying, no, you can't. So actually, that's a photograph uh, down into the right there of a woman that the police are saying, you've got to take that off. However, if you're a nun, you can wear what's called your habit. You can wear you know, the nun outfit on the beach, but Muslims aren't allowed to wear what they feel is right for them to wear. Yeah, brutality is sweeping across the Middle East. I mean, you see it in the news every day. It seems as if the rich are getting richer, and so often the poor are just kind of thrown aside as trash. It's kind of a nuisance. If we open our eyes, we cannot help but see injustices all around us. If we open our eyes, we will see violations left and right, violations that we know are wrong, and it seems like nobody seems to know how to solve them. Nobody seems to know how to address them appropriately. And sadly, there's nothing new under the sun. Sadly, if you go throughout all of world history, you will see injustice, unrighteousness, immoral behavior at the hands or or causing victims to be left in the path at the expense of others where people suffer because of wrongs in our world. Well, the fact of the matter is 
God is not, nor has ever been, silent on these injustices. The Bible is packed full of verse after verse that speaks against the wrongs in our world, the wrongs in our society, the wrongs all around us. And when the Bible was at a fever pitch, talking against all of these bad things in the world, was at a time in the Old Testament which we know as what's called the time of the prophets, that God sent man after man after man to speak out against the wrongs and the injustices of our world. So given our current world, given what we see happening at home and abroad, as I was reading through the Old Testament prophets, I kept coming back to the prophet Micah. Micah has words that I think are extremely relevant for our day and age. We as Christians are not supposed to just close our eyes to the injustices of our world. And yet, we shouldn't just kind of go out and do whatever we want. We should make sure that we're saying, well, if there are injustices out there, what does the Bible tell us we ought to be doing? And so, I want to look at the book of Micah and see how we might accurately assess what many different people call injustices and see if they really are injustices, and then what can be done about them and how we should handle them according to what God says in His Word. And so we're going to take the next six weeks to comb through this important Old Testament book that maybe you haven't read lately, and we're going to see what is in that book, which happens to be, by the way, a compilation of sermons that Micah gave And let God's Word teach us how to fight injustice. As we open up this book, the first thing that we're going to see is that everyone out there can have their opinions as to what are the wrongs or the ills of our world. And yet there's only one measuring rod by which we should say this is what's right and this is what's wrong. And we will see that true justice is upheld by the Lord. True justice is defined by the Lord. True justice and how to handle it is spelled out by the Lord. So, if you have your Bibles handy, you can try to find the book of Micah in the Old Testament. I'll give you a hint. It's right after Jonah. That'll really help you out. Otherwise, you can follow along with me as I read the Scriptures. We'll have them up here on the screen. So it begins, Micah chapter 1 and verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Now, this verse 1 just lays out the setting for us. We first see that, that Micah was born in this rural community, this, this uh, lowland village called Morasheth. It was about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem. So it's just a small rural community that he was born and raised in. And uh, it was uh, outside of Jerusalem by about 25 miles. And you notice, speaking of Jerusalem, we have which he saw concerning Samaria 
and Jerusalem. So at this time, which by the way, Micah prophesied uh, around 740 B.C. to about 700 B.C., so about 700 plus years before Jesus came to this earth. And uh, at that time, the nation of Israel was a divided kingdom. To the south was Judah, and to the north was Israel. And the capital of the southern kingdom was Jerusalem, and the capital of the northern kingdom was Samaria. So, so Micah, we see here in verse 1, was really speaking to both kingdoms. He's speaking to all the Israelites. And uh, not only was he just speaking to the Israelites, uh, but look at who else he was speaking to in verse 2. He says, Hear, O peoples, all of you, listen, O earth, and all it contains. So he's speaking not only to the Israelites, not only to the Jewish people, but he's speaking to you and to me, speaking to everybody across the earth. And let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord from His holy temple. So, here uh, God is the one who is in His holy temple. Here God is the one who has perfect understanding of all things. And here we see that God is the one who is the only one that can say this is what is unjust, this is wrong, and this is what is right. We can all have our opinions, but it's God who, who upholds and lays out what is right and what is wrong, and one day, He's going to return and make it all right. Notice what it goes on to say in verse 3. For behold, the Lord is coming forth from, this, from His place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under Him and the valleys will be split like wax before the fire, like water poured down a steep place. So here he is. God is going to return. Jesus is going to return. This kind of reminds me of Zechariah 14 in verses 4 and 5 when the king comes down. Jesus comes down out of heaven and he touches down on the Mount of Olives and there's this huge valley that splits from the east to the west and the mountains shake and, and crumble underneath him. And then it says in verse 5, all this is for the rebellion of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What is the high place of Judah? By the way, more accurately, the place says, this is actually in the plural, it should say, what are the high places of Judah? Because we know from Israel's history that at this time, they were actually making temples to false gods, and they called them the high places. Is it not right there in Jerusalem? So why is God going to come back? Why is He going to have this vengeance? Why is the earth going to shake? In a single word, but we see right there in verse 5, rebellion. Because of rebellion. The Israelites were drawn away from the one true God to serve idols. The Israelites were worshiping other things. Their focus of their lives was not on the one true God. They turn their backs on God, and He will not tolerate this forever. Look at verse 6. For I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the open country, planting places for a vineyard. I will pour her stones down into the valley and will lay bare her foundations. All the idols will be smashed. All these false things that you worship, they're going to be smashed. All the earnings will be burned with fire. You're so focused on money, that's going to be gone. All of her images I will make desolate. All of these forms of rebellion 
away from God he's going to take away. For she collected them from a harlot's earnings. And to the earnings of a harlot, they will return. In other words, you guys are no longer faithful to me like a bride or a husband would be to their spouse. But now you're being faithful to other things. You're like playing the harlot with others. You're, you're like committing adultery against God. Now, the Israelites were influenced by the world around them. The Israelites gave lip service to God, but their hearts weren't really given to God. You know, always the world will pull us away from God. Always the temptations of the things around us will pull us away. It still happens today. Let me just give you a few that I thought of. Uh, our wealth has made us where we really don't need God. Or the sexual revolution has made us not want to be so narrow-minded about these things and see it as God's wonderful boundaries for us. Our gadgets have distracted us from God. Matter of fact, I think when we're on our gadgets so much, it's as if we worship social media more than we worship God. I can say this, it seems as if we pay more attention to social media than we pay attention to God often. I think science has pushed us away from the actual truth that God is the creator and the sustainer of all of creation. Like there's a scientific explanation for it, so it must not be God. I think the education system has promoted secularism. I think God has been pushed to the fringes of our society. So we need to ask ourselves a question. When we see injustice around us, when we see things that aren't of God, how do I, here's the first question I want us all to ask ourselves, how do I respond? How do you and I respond? So you'll see the blank up there. I'm leaving it blank. You, you can answer that yourself. When, you, when, when, just, when, when there's injustices around us, when you see them, when you know of them, how do you respond to it? How do I respond to it? What is our response to a world that has set God aside? Well, look at Micah's response in verse 8. Because of this, I must lament and wail. I must go barefoot and naked. I must make a lament like the jackals and a mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable. For it has come to Judah. In other words, I can't seem to turn them back to God. It's like this sickness that I can't, get them, I can't help them. For it has reached the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. Tell it not in Gath. Weep not at all. Now, by the way, Gath was a place where their enemies were. And he's saying, listen, don't tell our enemies because it's even going to be worse for us. At Bethlehem, roll yourself in dust. This is a safer place to mourn. This is a safer place to be brokenhearted. How heavy-hearted are we about the injustices that are in our world? How heavy-hearted are we? I mean, when we see the brutality of ISIS and the refugees, that they're kicking them out of their homes? What is our reaction to that? Do we weep? When we hear of girls being sold into slavery, does that just wrench our hearts? 
Do we cry before the Lord? When we hear businesses using illegal aliens for their employers so that they can pay them less, do we see that as an injustice and does that wrench us? When we know people in powerful positions, people that maybe are on TV are being deceptive, does it turn our guts? These types of rebellions that I just listed there are the very same types of rebellions that Micah was dealing with with the nation of Israel and the surrounding uh, kingdoms. He lists actually 11 cities and he puts right smack dab in the center of it all, at the heart of it all, Jerusalem, which is the capital city. Notice what he says in verse 11. Go on your way, inhabitant of Shephir. In shameful nakedness, the inhabitant of Za'an does not escape the lamentation of Beth Ezel. He will take from you its support. From the inhabitant of Marath becomes weak, waiting for good, because a calamity has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem, right there in the middle. Harness the chariot to the team of horses, O inhabitant of Lachish. She was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion because you were found the rebe- because in you were found the rebellious acts of Israel. Therefore you will give parting gifts on behalf of Morasheth Gath. The houses of Aksib will become a deception to the kings of Israel. Moreover, I will bring on you the one who takes possession, O inhabitant of Marashah. The glory of Israel will enter Adullam. You know who the glory of Israel is? It's the people. And what he's referring to here is that the Israelites will end up being refugees in this town of Adullam. It seems as if when there is injustices in our world, there are always victims. And the Israelites were going to be victims here of the injustices in the world. But you know who seems to always be the victims of injustices? Children. Children seem to be the victims. Look at verse 16. Make yourself bald and cut off your hair. In other words, be mournful, be distraught because of the children of your delight. Extend your baldness like the eagle, for they will go from you into exile. Today, we see children caught in the crossfires of injustice. We see it on TV. We see it on the internet. We're bombarded every day with the injustices of our world. And the question that is posed to us, how do we respond to it? I mean, on the one hand, would you say, it's really not my problem. Or maybe you would say, um, or I would say, uh, uh, yeah, I know it's all around me, but I mean, what can I do about it? Really, I can't really do anything. Or for some of you, you would say, no, I have to do something. I cannot just sit by and let these things happen. How do we respond? Do we have the heart of Micah where our heart breaks for all the injustices around us? Well, seeing the wrongs out there in our world, we can often feel like Micah. You know, her wounds are incurable. There's like no way that I can really do anything to make a difference. Now Micah shifts, though, to a little closer to home. So let's bring it closer to home. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Woe to those who scheme iniquity, who work out evil on their beds. When morning comes, 
they do it, for it is in the power of their hands. These are powerful people who are scheming injustices. They're scheming wrongs. And here they are in verse 2. They covet fields and then seize them and houses and take them away. They rob a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Micah speaks specifically to a sin that is really evil. And it's deep down in the heart. And it's the sin of greed. See that there? They just wanted more and more and more. They were grabbing up land from the poor. They just wanted to acquire and acquire and acquire. And they were never really satisfied. Now, we can say, yo, that was so bad back there. That, that, and you know what? I know there's greedy people out there. But let's bring it closer to home. And let's ask ourselves this question. How much is enough? How much for you and I is enough? Where we don't have to keep going after more and more and more. Those who are in a position of power, those of us here who are in a position of power, are we employing people and giving them a fair wage or do we hold back so that we can have more? How about, do we steal from our children? Do we steal companionship and love from our children because we are busy making more money? Do we rob God of His tithes and offerings that are rightfully His so that we can enjoy the good life? Do we want more than is needed? It's called greed. And greed hurts other people. It's wrong, and we must stand against it. God stands against it. Look at verse 3 of chapter 2. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am planning against this family a calamity from which you cannot remove your necks and you will not walk haughtily. In other words, you won't keep being so arrogant in your sin. For it will be an evil time. On that day, they will take up against you a taunt and utter bitter lamentation and say, we are completely destroyed. These are the people who have been sinning in greed. He exchanges, God exchanges the portion of my people. How He removes it from me. To the apostate, He apportions our fields. Why is God doing this to me? Therefore, you will have no one stretching a measuring line for you by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Man, whew, some harsh words, don't you think, from God? I mean, can He sort of nudge them a little nicer? You ever have someone speak harsh words to you? You ever hear harsh words coming your way? I have. Um, I can think of two quickly. Uh, one... One was a friend of mine in seminary. Uh, we went through seminary together. He and his family and my family all got together a lot going through the years of schooling. And then when I was a pastor in Illinois and I needed an associate pastor, I invited him to come and be the associate pastor. He and his family moved out to Illinois. And uh, we did ministry together for years. It was a lot of fun. And then he was going to make a choice, a switch in his life, that I didn't think was a good decision. I, I thought it was... Not a good decision. And so I, I said to him, I said, as your friend, can I just say that I, I don't think you're making the right choice? 
And I'll never forget what he said back to me. Now, this is after years of relationship. He said to me, as your friend, you're not my friend. You've never been my friend. How do you know what's right for me? And that hit deep. Like, wow. Those are some tough words to hear. And then back in seminary, I remember a professor. I know I've shared this with you probably not very long ago. Um, but uh, I had a professor. I was reading out of the Bible, and, um, and I was stumbling along. And he said to me in front of the whole class, I've taught a lot of seminary students, but you're the worst reader I've ever heard. Now, my professor in seminary, he said that because he wanted me to become a better reader. Because he, he said it from a place of love and care. My friend said what he said to me out of a place of pain and anger. God never says what he says out of pain and anger. God says what he says out of care and love. And when God was giving this correction, he was saying it from a place of love and care. He's being very direct because he knows this is what's best for you. He had similarly strong words against those who spread lies. There's a tough section here in Micah chapter 2 that is hard to follow, but there were these false prophets, these people that were spreading lies when they had all this greed going on. These false prophets were supporting it. And so Micah addresses these false prophets. And he basically starts by saying, these are what the false prophets are saying to us prophets, okay? Real prophets, people who really speak God's truth. They say to us, do not speak. So then those false prophets speak out. But if they, the real prophets, which by the way, Micah and Isaiah and Hosea and Amos were all prophets at the same time, if they do not speak out concerning these things, reproaches will not be turned back. Is it? Being said, O house of Jacob, as is, uh, is the Spirit of the Lord impatient? Are these His doings? Do not my words do good to the one walking uprightly? These false prophets were saying, look at the wealth. Look at how good we're doing. I mean, everybody, most people anyway, seem to be happy, so it must be right. And then Micah basically shoots straight and says, this is what you're doing, false prophets. Verse 8, recently my people have arisen as an enemy. You strip the robe off the garment from unsuspecting passers-by, from those returned from war, the women of my people you evict, even one, of her pleasant, even one from her pleasant house, from her children you take my splendor forever. You false prophets see the wrong that's going on and you keep saying it's okay. Verse 10, Arise and go, for this is no place of rest because of the uncleanness that brings on destruction, a painful destruction. In other words, your lies hurt people. Your lies hurt people. Verse 11, If a man walking after wind and falsehood has had told lies and said, I will speak out to you concerning wine and liquor, he would be spokesman to this people. In other words, you're believing these false prophets. You're believing these liars. Yeah. People who close their eyes to the wrongs in our world and just say nice things People who just kind of, you know, have sort of milk toast things to say. People who just kind of like to, you know, stroke your back, like to tickle your ear. They may sound good, 
But are they actually speaking the truth? So when we try to discern between, well, is this the truth or is this a lie? I mean, you know, these people seem sound pretty convincing. How do I, how do I tell the truth? Here's, here's the next question for us. What is my filter? What filter do we use when it comes to trying to figure out what's a lie and what's not a lie? Maybe the best way to go about it is to figure out what's not going to be our filter, what should not be our filter. Let me just give you three voices out there that might cause us to say, ah, that's got to be the truth, and we just got to be cautious around that. The first one is the voice of smart people. <laughs> A lot of smart people out there. Just because someone's smart doesn't necessarily mean they're holding up the truth. Secondly, loud people. You know, people that bark really loud. People that scold. People that always seem to be a bit condemning and always correcting. Just because they scowl at us doesn't necessarily mean they're, tr they're speaking the truth. One other voice that is a temptation to listen to, powerful people. Someone who can give us a favor or help us move ahead, you know, or, or, or experience some level of success. Just because they're powerful doesn't necessarily mean they're speaking the truth. All of these voices, and many of them, and many others, uh, they might be telling the truth, but there might be lies in there too. So here's what I live by. This is worth writing down. All truth is God's truth, no matter where you find it. All truth is God's truth, no matter where you find it. And the Bible is our filter. And the Bible is our filter. So, those that you want to listen to, the voices that you want to listen to, are those that will often say, where stands it written? What does the Bible have to say about this? And who seems to be those who have the heartbeat of God? They, they just sense the, the heart of God. You can tell that they, that they have a beat on that. And by the way, the heart of God never changes. It's a heart of uncompromising love. It's the heart of eternal grace. It's the heart of infinite mercy. And with all the injustices swirling around us, here's a fact. With all the injustices all around us, our loving God will rescue His sheep. All the wrongs are going to be made right. All the injustices of the world will finally be no more because God is going to return. Now, just imagine being the Israelites listening to Mike on this first sermon and hearing all of this stuff and feeling it, the conviction in, his, in their heart. And like a good pastor, like a good shepherd, he then turns on an upswing and he says, listen, God is going to rescue His people. Look at the last two verses of chapter 2. God says, I will surely assemble all of you, Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. That's the faithful few. The hope of the nation of Israel rests in the remnant. I will put them together like sheep in the fold, like the flock in the midst of, the pa of its pasture. They will be noisy with men. They'll be a pretty good-sized remnant. The breaker goes up before them. They break out, pass through the gate, and go out by it. So their king goes on before them, and the Lord at their head. King Jesus is going to return. The Lord is going to be at the head. And He uh, is going to make all things right. In John chapter 10, Jesus calls Himself the chief shepherd and that we are His sheep. 
and He wants to lead us. When He returns, He's going to wipe out injustice. But until He returns, then we need to ask one final question to make sure that we're clear on this. And this is the final question of the morning. Am I in a right place with Him? Am I in a right place with God? We know there are injustices in the world. We see them every day. And if we take it closer to home and do some introspection, we say, okay, yeah, there's some injustices even inside of me, inside our hearts. Where justice begins and ends is with that question, am I in a right place with Jesus? Am I in a right position with Him? Have I become an adopted child of His? Have I placed my faith in Jesus as my Savior? Did I believe that yes, He died for me? All the junk in my life, all the sin, all the wrong, all the immoral stuff that that I know is a part of my heart, He died for me and He died for you. Have we put our faith in Him as our Savior? And He rose from the grave because He's going to return as the King. And until He returns, then are we still in a right relationship with Him fellowship-wise? Do we have a close relationship with Him? Are we drawing near to Him? Are we following after His words? I love these words in Matthew 6.33. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Seek it first. Standing up for Him. Standing up for Jesus in a world that seems to fight against Him. Are you and I His ambassadors? Do we weep over the injustices of our world? Does it actually grab our hearts? Does it break our hearts? And do we fight for justice? Do we speak out for the Lord in our world? Let's pray. Well, Lord, we're off and running into this Old Testament book. And I pray for us. I pray that we will will be stirred That it won't just be something that is out there, but it moves us deep inside. I pray that You'll give us eyes to see more clearly what those injustices are in our world. That we won't just be apathetic about them, but that we will be Your ambassadors to uphold Your justice in our world. Lord, as the weeks unfold ahead of us, I pray that that we will be men and women, boys and girls, that stand up for what is right in alignment with your word in alignment with your truth. Thank you, Lord, for calling us to shine your light brightly in this dark world. We pray this, Jesus, for your glory.